Blessed Solanus Casey once said, we must be faithful to the present moment or we will frustrate the plan of God for our lives. Welcome to the 66th episode of St. Dipna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want all of us to remember that God has placed us in this specific moment and this specific time as a part of his providence. And if we can learn to be present in that moment with him, we can change the world. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, bigorexia is in the news, a new term for individuals living with a certain type of body dysmorphia and how it's leading to an increase in depression for gym goers. The BBC gets us oriented. Body dysmorphia in the young, muscular men is causing them to see themselves as small, leading to depression and steroid abuse, an expert has said. A gym goer quoted in the article said, when I look in the gym now, there are lots of 16 or 17 year olds on substances like steroids. It's the go-to thing to do. Uh, we have pressure from things like social media to be really big, and it's really frightening. He's now worried about the effects of his long-term health. Now he has a family, but said when he was younger, he just wanted that bigger body. He said, quote, I think you try and try to chase something, but over months of constant hard work, training, and supplements, what you're putting your body through, is it really worth it? The latest survey by the Mental Health Foundation showed 16 to 25-year-olds saw body image as a substantial concern and the third biggest challenge to them behind lack of job opportunities and failure to succeed at school, college, or university. A doctor in the article fears one in 10 men training in the UK gyms could have the condition, which he said could lead to depression and steroid abuse in extreme cases. But as going to the gym is a healthy thing to do, people with the issue are less likely to raise concerns, or others may miss the warning signs, he added. Symptoms include worrying for an hour a day or over an hour a day about body image or exercising at a cost, such as going to the gym instead of socializing or education. So as we all have the habit of doing on this podcast, thankfully, let's join together in prayer for everyone living with body dysmorphia, that they may find the strength to reach out for help and that the right kind of help might be available for them when they do. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Body dysmorphia is a diagnosis that doesn't get discussed a lot, but about 1 in 50 people live with it. The current research shows that the treatment of serotonin reuptake inhibitor medication combined with cognitive behavioral therapy is the key to reducing the severity of body dysmorphia, along with its related symptoms of depression. So if you've been living through this or know someone who has, please, please know that you aren't alone and help is out there. On to the next topic, another mental health experience that doesn't get talked about nearly enough is postpartum depression. Most of us think the symptoms of postpartum depression only last for a short time after the arrival of a new baby, but recent studies show it may actually have a serious impact on us for up to three years. The Washington Post sets us up. 
Research from the National Institutes of Health, which tracked 4,866 women for three years after childbirth, found that about 25% of the women reported moderate to high levels of depressive symptoms at some point, and that the remaining 75% experienced low-level depressive symptoms throughout the study. The NIH research published in the Journal of Pediatrics encourages pediatricians to screen their tiny patients' mothers for depressive symptoms during the children's regular checkups, noting that mothers' mental health is critical to children's well-being and development. The researchers note that maternal depression increases a child's risk for cognitive, emotional, and behavioral problems. Getting treatment, however, should not only ease a mother's symptoms, but also improve her child's odds for a favorable developmental outcome. You know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, and we'll most definitely talk about it again. Our health system consistently underperforms at screening for and providing help for maternal mental health, both during pregnancy and during the postpartum period. There's really a lack of understanding about maternal mental health across both the physical health and mental health systems of care. With that in mind, it becomes absolutely vital for mothers to have an advocate in their corner who can push for getting the help they need when they need it. Someone who can join them in speaking up to their providers in an effort to get adequate mental health care during this crucial time. This is something we have to keep talking about. We can't allow mothers to continue suffering or thinking that her symptoms are a result of some personal failure. We have to create a system that catches these systems, these symptoms early on and provides targeted help for these symptoms in a way that's effective provided without stigma and is healing for all. So each episode I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request and today I'm here to introduce you to Blessed James Miller. Born in 1944 in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, James was a premature baby who weighed just four pounds at birth but would grow to be a six-foot, two-inch adult who was well-known for a laugh so loud it would startle those around him. Miller joined the De La Salle brothers as a postulant in 1962 and progressed through to receiving the habit later that same year. He served as a high school teacher before being sent to teach in Nicaragua. However, the political tensions there led him to request an opportunity to leave due to receiving death threats. He was among a list of people that were going to be, quote, dealt with, according to a list that he found. He was brought back home and continued to work at the same high school where everything began. And because he was so good at construction and other practical abilities, the students there began to refer to him as Brother Fix-It. He was eventually sent to teach in Guatemala, where he provided job leadership training to the people there. On February 13, 1982, three hooded and masked men shot and killed Miller in the light of the afternoon while he was on a ladder repairing a wall at the school there. Many believe that his murder was due in retaliation for his work to prevent native male Guatemalans from being conscripted into the armed services. Five months before Miller was killed, Blessed Stanley Rother was also killed in Guatemala, all part of a scary string of priests and religious being assassinated in the country. Brother James gives us an incredible witness of someone who quietly served Christ by serving others. When he was brought back to Wisconsin after getting death threats, he talked about how much he longed to get back to Latin America to be with the people there. And I think it's that bravery that comes from being sure of God's plan for our lives that I would most like all of us to take away from this story of Blessed James. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. O faithful shepherd, blessed brother James Miller, you tilled the soil with your hands and invited Jesus Christ to till the soil of your soul. You became a sign of the love of Christ, the good shepherd for your students, and blessed their lives by your ministry. 
You stood firm and did not run from danger, bringing glory to God, his church, and your martyrdom. Blessed Brother James, obtain from the heart of Jesus peace and good mental health for all those listening to this podcast, and pray for me that I too may be a sign of Christ's love. Teach me to faithfully till the soil of this life in this reality given to me by our Father, unafraid to stay with those God has given to me no matter the cost. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Haley gets us started. What is your advice for praying during depression? Like, it is so hard to maintain my prayer life in a depressive state, and I struggle with it so much. So I was just wondering if you had any tips or words of wisdom. Thank you so much for sending this in, Haley. And I'm going to start by giving my top tip to those of us in this situation. Allow others to pray for you. The power of prayer is real. Sometimes while we know that in our minds, we forget it in our hearts. And so, you know, when we feel like we can't bring ourselves to pray because of depression or grief or a myriad of other reasons that make our prayer lives a struggle, it's important to remember that Jesus set up this church to be a community of believers who care about each other and lift each other up whenever it's needed. So everyone join me in praying for Haley and everyone else who finds it difficult to pray right now that they may experience relief from this struggle and may deeply feel the power of our prayers for them. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So beyond asking others to pray for us when we're feeling like we can't even bring ourselves to pray, my next thought is this. Find a very short prayer that you like and allow that to be your prayer life. Many of you know that when my wife and I lost our son in 2016, my prayer life dropped to literally zero. I, I just couldn't do it. I, I felt like a fraud praying to God. And basically, I, I abandoned prayer, even though I knew that wouldn't be good for me. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. It was the simple message of divine mercy that slowly brought me back. Jesus, I trust in you. That was it. That was my prayer life. I would say it every once in a while. I would mean it even less frequently. And I just left it at that. Slowly but surely, I believe because of God's grace, this tiny prayer helped me get back into praying. First, the seven sorrows rosary, which has become deeply impactful in my life. And then all the way back to a prayer life that's now more focused and more beneficial than it had ever been before. So I would start there. First, cutting yourself some slack because it's not a failure on your part that you're not feeling it right now, but rather a result of the depression. So go easy on yourself. And second, find that tiny prayer that you can say every once in a while until things can get back on track. Jesus, I trust in you. Virgin Mary, Mother of Jesus, make us saints. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Saint Dymphna, virgin and martyr, pray for me. Or even just, Lord, have mercy. Nina is up next. For several years, I've dealt with high-functioning major depression and generalized anxiety. In order to treat my mental health, I've done a combination of therapy supplemented with medication as well as spiritual direction. After spending a few years medication-free and without therapy, I got married, and the fruit of my marriage was my honeymoon baby, which I miscarried, followed by another pregnancy that was carried full-term, praise be Jesus Christ. 
During my pregnancy, I began to exhibit symptoms of my mental illness and reached out for help as my husband was concerned about my erratic behavior. I was told that symptoms of pregnancy mirror those of depression, such as fatigue, change in appetite or sleeping patterns, etc., and that it was probably the fluctuation of my hormones. I wasn't taken seriously until after I'd given birth and my suicidal ideation increased more than what it was throughout my pregnancy. The doctors say it's all related to postpartum, but I believe in my gut I should have been treated sooner. The question is, how should pregnant women advocate for themselves in a situation where they're struggling with mental illness yet are being told it's their hormones and not an actual disorder. So everyone, let's stop what we're doing and join together in prayer for Nina, for the baby waiting for her in heaven, for her family, and for a health system that remembers that we are the experts on ourselves and takes us seriously when we feel like something is not quite right. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. First, I want to say how much strength you have shown throughout all of this. First, by reaching out to get help, getting therapy and medication and spiritual direction. And second, by trying to get your providers to see that things weren't going well for you and seeking help through them. I know it ultimately didn't result in you getting the help you needed when you needed it at the beginning. But I still want to point out what a wonderful example you are to all of us trying to get the help we need. You know, you just are inspiring. Your story is a perfect example of the failures of our system in addressing the mental health needs of mothers. First, by missing an opportunity to treat you, and second, by dismissing your reports about what was going on for you, it's heartbreaking that they allowed you to continue to suffer when they should have intervened at the first moment you reached out for help. Your gut that you should have been treated sooner is 100% correct. Now to the question of how should pregnant women advocate for themselves when they find themselves in a similar situation? You know, according to the World Health Organization, approximately 10% of pregnant women and 13% of women in postpartum period grapple with mood disorders. And when perinatal mood disorders are left undiagnosed or untreated, the results can literally be deadly. So first and foremost, the burden is on the system and the providers to become educated on maternal mental health and to develop policies and procedures around screening and treatment that helps women who find themselves in your situation get help as soon as possible. A complete system shift is what is needed. In the meantime, it's crucial for mothers to have another voice in the room with them when expressing their needs to their provider. Another voice to say no. This isn't the result of just being pregnant. There's something here that needs the attention of a mental health professional and not taking no for an answer. A mother who is already suffering shouldn't have to take on this burden alone. And finding a trusted partner, family member, parent, or friend who can get involved in advocating alongside of you can go a long way. Please remember that we're praying for you and for your family. Anonymous wraps us up. I've been attending virtual therapy sessions with a new therapist for the past few months, but recently I've realized that sometimes the therapist is not fully present or attentive during our time together. I sometimes hear them typing on their phone and their notifications are going off, and I can see from the reflection in their glasses that they're on different web pages on their laptop. It's really frustrating when uh, the person I'm paying and trusting to listen to me isn't actually listening, especially when I'm sharing vulnerable parts of myself. 
what should I do moving forward? Should I confront them? And how should I go about that? Or just find a new therapist and start again with them? Well, let's all join together in praying for Anonymous that they can get the respect and attentive help they deserve. And for mental health providers that they can realize the importance of being in the present moment with someone they're helping and never forgetting that importance. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. This is so frustrating. I am so sorry that you have to deal with this. A therapist and any helping professional for that matter should always be focused on being in the present moment with the person they're helping. Sitting with people in their suffering and being present with them is in and of itself a powerful intervention, especially today when not many people even carry on a conversation without glancing at their phones over and over again. While it may be more difficult in this age of COVID and telehealth therapy, therapists should be all the more on guard for giving their entire attention and focus to the people they're helping. I think a story we often hear about people meeting uh, John Paul II and a few other saints, where the thing they remember all those years after meeting this holy person was how they gave them their full and complete attention, how it felt like the Pope had no other concerns or worries or thoughts other than just being in the place with that person in that moment. There's something so powerful there, something we all need to remember as we interact with others throughout the day. In your situation, in all honesty, I would probably find a new therapist because to me, they're showing you that they aren't really invested in paying attention and helping. And if this is how they approach therapy with you, I'm guessing it'll be hard to get them to change. And finding someone who values your time and your story enough to stay present in the moment with you is probably the best next step. But we'll be praying for you. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations. If you'd like me to address them in the future, I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Infinite.